0: the ARC Audio Book Club speaking. We're holidaying at the moment but we'll be back in July so we thought we'd share the audio with you from an event we held back in March. May can host the evening and is here to introduce you to what you'll be listening to.
1: Yeah so this is a recording that we made um, of the event we held during a uh, Hall laser this year the theme of which was men and so we put together an evening that explored the ideas of Dave Foster Wallace's Story Collection Brief Interviews with Hideous Men.
2: And Nice Guy Misogyny.
1: In part one, you'll hear readings from myself, uh, Toka Larson and Alexander Bookswainty, and my conversation with Copenhagen University researcher Mikkel Franson. So without much further ado, here it is. Part one of Arc Books Presents Brief Interviews with Hideous Men.
0: Enjoy. Interview
1: 14, August. 1996, St. Plains, Pennsylvania. It cost me every sexual relationship I've ever had. I don't know why I do it. I'm not a political person. I don't consider myself. I'm not one of those America first, read the newspaper, will Buchanan you can and get the nod people. I'll be doing it with some girl. It doesn't matter who. It's when I start to come that it happens. I'm not a Democrat. I don't even vote. I freaked out about it once, and I called a radio show about it. A doctor on the radio. Anonymously he diagnosed it as the uncontrolled yelling of involuntary words and phrases, frequently insulting or scatological, which is coprolalia. is the official term. Except when I start to come and always start yelling it, it's not insulting and it's not obscene. It's always the same thing and it's always so weird. I don't think it's insulting. It's just weird and uncontrolled. It comes out like the same way the spooge comes out, it feels like. I don't know what it's about. I can't help it. Q. Victory for the forces of democratic freedom! Only way louder. As in really shouting it. Uncontrollably. I don't even think about it until I hear it coming out. Victory for the forces of democratic freedom! Only louder than that. Victory! Q. Well, it's only fixed them out. What do you think? I just about die of embarrassment. I don't even know what to say. What do you say when you just added victory for the forces of democratic freedom right when you came? Q. It wouldn't be so embarrassing if it wasn't so fucking weird. If I had any clue what it was about, you know? Q. Oh god, now I'm embarrassed as hell. Q. But all there is is the once. That's what I mean about it costing? I can tell how bad it freaks them out, and I get embarrassed, and I never call them again. If I try to explain... And it's the ones that act all understanding, like they don't care, and that it's okay, and they understand, and it doesn't matter, that it embarrasses me the worst. Because it's so fucking weird to yell, victory for the force of democratic freedom, when you're shooting off, that I can always tell they're totally freaked out and just constantly down to me, and pretending they understand, and those are the ones I actually end up almost getting pissed off at, and don't even feel embarrassed about calling them, or totally avoiding them, that the ones that say, I think I could love you anyway. Thanks. So now, um... Okay.
2: Interview, 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 okay. interview 11 june 1996 <coughs> vienna vancouver all right i am okay oh yes but hang on a second okay i need you to try and understand this okay look i know i'm moody i know i'm kind of withdrawn sometimes i know i'm hard to be with in this okay all right but this every time I get moody or withdrawn, you think I'm leaving or getting ready to ditch you, I can't take it. This thing of you being afraid all the time, it wears me out. It makes me feel like I have to like, hide whatever mood I might be in because right away you're going to think that it's about you and I'm getting ready to ditch you and leave. You don't trust me. You don't. It's not like I'm saying given or history. I deserve a whole lot of trust right off the bat. But you still don't at all. There's like serious security no matter what I do. Okay? I said I promised I wouldn't leave, and you said you believed me that I was in this with you for the long haul this time, but you didn't. Okay? Just, just admit it, all right? You don't trust me. I'm on eggshells all the time. Do you see? I can't keep going around reassuring you all the time. You. No, I'm not saying this is reassuring. What this is, is just trying to get you to... Okay, look, things up ep- and flow okay? Sometimes people are just more into it than other times. This is just how it is. But you can't stand ebb. It feels like no ebbs allowed. And I know that's probably my fault, okay? I know the other time didn't exactly make you feel secure, but I can't change that, okay? But this is now. And now, and now I feel like anytime I just... Rather not talk or get a little moody or withdrawn. you think I'm plotting to ditch you. And that breaks my heart. Okay? It just breaks my heart. Maybe if I loved you a little less or cared about you a little less, I could take it, but I can't. Uh, so yes, that's what the bags are for. I'm leaving. Cute. And I was... This is just how I was afraid you were going to take it. I knew it. That you think this means you were right to be afraid all the time and never feel secure. Trust me. I knew it'd be... See, you're leaving after all when you promised you wouldn't. I knew it, but I'm trying to explain anyway, okay? And I know you probably won't understand this either, but wait, just just try and listen. Maybe I'll absorb this, okay? Ready? Me leaving is not the confirmation of all your fears about me. It is not. It's because of them. Okay? Can you see that? It's your fear I can't take. It's your distrust and fear I've been trying to fight. And I can't anymore. I'm out of gas on it. If I loved you even a little less, maybe I could take it. But this is killing me. This constant feeling that I'm always scaring you and never making you feel secure. Can you see that? Can you? It is ironic from your point of view. I can see that. Okay. And I can see you totally hate me now. And I've spent a long time getting myself to where I'm ready to face you totally hating me for this and this look of like total confirmation of all your fears and suspicions on your face. If you could see it, okay? I swear, if you could see your face right now, anybody understand why I'm leaving? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to put it all on you. I'm sorry. It's not you, okay? I mean, there has to be something about me. If you, if you can't trust me after all these weeks, or even stand just a little normal ebb and flow, I always think I'm going to leave. I, mean, I don't know what, but there must be something wrong. Okay, and I know our history's not great. But I swear to you, I meant everything I said, and I've tried a hundred plus percent. I swear to God I did. I'm so sorry. I'd give anything in the world not to hurt you. I love you. I always will love you. Hope you believe that, but I'm, I'm giving up trying to get you to. Just please believe I tried. And don't think this is about something wrong with you. Don't do that to yourself. It's us. Us is why I'm leaving, Okay. Can you see that? That's, that it's not what you've always been so afraid of, okay? Can you see that? Can you maybe see? Can you can you maybe see? You just might have been wrong, even possibly. Could you give me that much? Do you think? Because this isn't exactly fun for me either, okay? Leaving like this, seeing your face like this, is my last mental picture of you. Can you see? I might be pretty torn up about it too. Can you? That you're not alone in this.
0: Interview number 40. June 1997. Benton Ridge, Ohio. It's the arm. You wouldn't think of it as an asset like that, would you? But it's the arm. You want to see it? You won't You won't get disgusted? Well, here it is. Here's the arm. This is why I go by the name Johnny One Arm. I made it up. Not anybody being like hard-hearted. Me. I see... How you're trying to be polite and not look at it. Go ahead and look, though. It don't bother me. Inside my head, I don't call it the arm. I call it the acid. How all would you describe it? Go on. You think it'll hurt my feelings? You want to hear me describe it? It looks like an arm that changed its mind early on in the game when it was in mama's stomach with the rest of me. It's more like a itty tiny little flipper. It's little and wet looking, darker than the rest of me is. It looks wet even when it's dry. It's not a pretty sight at all. I usually keep it in the sleeve until it's time to haul it out and use it for the asset. Notice the shoulder's normal. It's just like the other shoulder. It's just the arm. It'll only go down to, like, the titty nipple of my chest here, see? It's a little sucker. It ain't pretty. It moves fine. I can move it around fine. If you look close here at the end, there's these little majiggers, you can tell, started out wanting to be fingers, but didn't form when I was in her stomach. The other arm, see, it's a normal arm, a little muscly on account of using it all the time. It's normal and long and the right color, that's the arm I show all the time. Most times I keep the other sleeve pinned up, so it don't look to be even anything like an arm in there at all. It's strong though, the arm is. It's hard on the eyes, but it's strong. Sometimes I try and get them to arm wrestle it to see how strong it is. It's a strong little flippery sucker, if they think they can stand to touch it. I always say, if they don't think they can stand touching it, why, that's okay. It don't hurt my feelings. You want to touch it? That's all right. That is all right. What it is, is, well, first there's always some girls around. You know what I mean? At the foundry there, at the lanes, there's a tavern right down by the bus stop there. Jackpot. That's my best friend. Jackpot and Kenny Kirk. Kenny Kirk's his cousin. Jackpots. That are both over me at the foundry because I finished school and I didn't get into the union until after. They're real good-looking and normal-looking and good with the ladies, if you know what I mean. And there's always girls hanging around back, back around. Like in a group. A bunch of us. Uh, or group of all of us. We'll all just hang back, drink some beers. Jackpot and Kenny are always going out with one of them or the other. And then the ones they're going out with got friends, you know, a whole, say, group of us there. You follow the picture here? And I'll start hanging back with this one or that one. And after a while, the first stage is, I'll start telling them how I got the name Johnny One Arm and about the arm. That's a stage of the thing, of getting some pussy using the asset. I'll describe the arm while it's still up in the sleeve, and make it sound like just about the ugliest thing you ever did see. They'll get this look on their face like, Oh, you poor little fella, you're being too hard on yourself, you shouldn't be shameful of that arm. So on. How I'm a, such a nice young fella and it breaks their heart to see me talk about my own part of me that way, especially since it weren't any fault of mine to get born with the arm, at which time, when they start with that stage of it, the next stage is... I ask them, do they want to see it? I say how oh, I'm shameful of the arm, but somehow I trust them, and they seem real nice, and if they want, I'll unpin the sleeve and let the arm out, and let them look at the arm if they think they could stand it. I'll go on about the arm, arm until they can't hardly stand to hear no more about it. Sometimes, it's an ex of jackpots. That's the one that starts hanging back with me down at the frame 11 over to the lanes and saying how I'm such a good listener and sensitive not like jackpot or Kenny and she can't believe there's any way the arms as bad as I'm making out and like that or we'll be hanging out back at her place in the kitchenette or some such and I'll go it's so hot I feel like taking my shirt off but I won't don't want to on account of I'm shameful of that arm (laughs) like that there's numerous stages numerous like stages I never out loud called the asset, believe you me. Go on and touch it whenever you get a mind to. One of the stages is, I know after some time, I really am starting to come off creepy to the girl, I can tell, because all I can talk about is the arm and how wet and flippery it is, but how it's strong, but how I just about up and if a girl is nice and pretty and perfect as I think she is, saw it and got disgusted, disgusted, and I could tell all the talk starts creeping them up inside, and they start to secretly think I'm kind of a loser, but they can't back out, I mean, because after all, here they've been all this time, saying all this nice shit about what a sensitive young fella I am, and how I shouldn't be shameful, and there's no way the arm can be that bad. At this stage, it's like they're committed into a corner, and if they quit hanging back with me now, why, they know I can go, it was because of the arm. Usually long, about two weeks like that. The next is your critical type stage where I show them the arm. I wait till it's just her and me alone someplace and I haul the sucker out. I make it seem like they talked me into it and now I trust them. And they're who I finally feel like I can let it out of the sleeve and show it. And I show it to her, just like I did you. There's some additional things too I can do with it that look even worse. Made it look... See that? See this right here? It's cause there ain't even a really an elbow bone. It's just a... Pew. Or some of your ointments or Vaseline-type jelly on it to make it look even wetter and shinier. The arm's not a pretty sight at all when I up and haul it out on them, I'm telling you right now. Just about makes them puke, the sight of it the way I get it. Oh, and a couple run out. Some skedoodle right out the door. But your majority, your majority of them will swallow hard a time or two and go, Oh it's 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 not too bad at all but they're looking over all the way trying not to look at my face which I've got this ri- totally shy and scared and trusting face on at the time like this one thing I can do where I make my lips even tremble a little e- <laughs> e- ah. and every time sooner or later within inside like 5 minutes of it they'll up and start crying they're in way of their head see They're like committed into a corner of saying how it can't be that ugly. And I shouldn't be shameful, and then they see it. And I see to it, it is ugly, 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 ugly. And now what do they do? Pretend? Shit girl. Most of these girls around here think Elvis is alive someplace. These are not girl wonders of the brain. It breaks them down every time. They get even worse if I ask them, oh golly, what's wrong? How come they're crying? Is it the arm? And they have to say it ain't the arm they have to They have to try and pretend it ain't the arm that it's how they feel so sad for me being so shameful of something that ain't a big deal at all. They have to say oftentimes with their face and their hands crying. Their climatic stage then is then I up and come over to where she's at and sit down and now I'm with the one now I'm the one that's comforting them. A like factor here I found out the hard way is. When I go in to hold them and comfort them, I hold them with the good side. I don't give them no more of the asset. The asset's wrapped back up safe and out of sight in the sleeve now. They're broke down crying, and I'm the one holding them with the good arm and go, It's okay, don't cry, don't be sad. Being able to trust you not to get disgusted by the arm means so very, very much to me. Don't you see you have to set me free of being shameful of the arm? Thank you, thank you. And so on while they put their face in my neck and just cry and cry. Sometimes they get me crying too. You following all this? You. More pussy than a toilet seat, man. I shit you not. Go on and ask Jackpot and Kenny about it if you want. Kenny Kirk's the one named it The Asset. You go on.
2: We'll
1: uh, be back later if uh, Michael Fanson would like to join me on the stage. And thanks a lot, guys the stage the stage it's um it's like at the floor level but i we have to have like these kind of artificial you can come closer if you no this is good this is good it's better this one no it's fine just uh do that um do you want me close no no i mean that's no no it's fine that's the asset anyway um (laughs) hi. hi so um for those who don't know uh didn't really introduce myself either. I'm a PhD researcher at Goldsmiths and I write a little bit about Wallace but I mostly write about pop music and capitalism and things like this and Mikkel is a um, PhD researcher at uh, Copenhagen University's Institute for Modern Culture and um, Art. That's the title or the other way around.
3: Arts and Cultural Studies. Every time. Yeah.
1: Um, and working on depression and culture and which Wallace plays a large part. Um, so I guess my kind of starting question for this uh section is um like what's your relationship to this book and how you see it like within Wallace's point actually no that's what's your relationship to this book what do you
3: what do you how do you find it? Let's start with that I mean first of all I still think that this is perhaps his best I mean we discussed it mm. earlier but it's probably his best piece of short fiction mm. or short stories to my mind anyway. Um he's written A couple of those, um, and it's written around the same time as *Infinite Jest*. And it's Mm. pretty clear that a lot of themes resonating and echoing throughout. Um, Yeah. um, So I mean, uh, yeah. uh, uh, I mean.
1: Yeah, I I think that's what I I was just thinking about this in in relation to this, but you can to this event today. But you see that same cue device in *Infinite Jest* in a few passages, um, not used for the same explicit purpose, but actually, there's a section in the first novel, *Brim of the System*. Where um the kind of John Updike cowboyish character is breaking up with his wife, and it's a totally one sided conversation there's no cue, but it's like i think it it's um yeah it's an interesting device, and yeah I, yeah, it, I think that's yeah the focus tonight is really those interview passages in the book because there's other sections which we could go into in in considerable detail as yeah. well um yeah, so what I thought was really interesting um Reading around for this was uh, the relationship that the um, that the narrators have to uh, honesty mm. and the way that they put forward everything. So, but but they but um but it's very uh, very constructed set set of everything. It's mm. um the everything they're willing to disclose. And I guess um, in relation to trying to get. This discussion bound to this this topic of a, of a misogyny and um, and, and and how uh, yeah how how honesty relates to that like how uh, you almost are like begging for permission mm. to just do what um, you're going to do anyway yeah uh, yeah I was wondering if you know, there's something.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure there's a question there. No, but, I'm, I'm just going to pop in. Yes, please do. <laughs> but what, what I mean, um, if some of you read the book, but but also just mm. from hearing the reading, it's pretty obvious that those men are pretty hideous mm. and they're pretty deceitful or, mm. I don't know, dishonest. And, of course, Wallace is, is also showing off in a lot of these stories, right? I mean, mm. the sort of, you know... I don't know what's the English phrase, the, the, the whip of the tail or using, you know, sort of, you, you get a whole, whole story and then at the very end, you know, it's mm. sort of more pussy than a toilet seat. Mm. Or, some, or some other guy describing his masochistic contract with women mm. and then at the very end it turns out he's not really a masochist after all. Mm. He's just sort of, you know, trying to get girls into bed and that's sort of his device Mm. laying out all these contractual Mm. um, obligations and discussions and then sort of, you know, Mm. a very surprising move at the Mm. very end. But I I don't know. And of course, I mean, all these characters are almost addicted to their own deceit and also, of course, self-deceit. I mean, Mm. they are sort of, you know, knowing what they're doing and and fully aware of it of it but but at the same time they don't Mm. really know what's going on i mean there's some sort of you know excess of self-consciousness and then sort of you know this compulsory behavior that sort Mm. of you know goes beyond Mm. the usual common way of you know rationalizing your Mm. own behavior and that sort of thing that's pretty typical i mean the first scene of the book is sort of you know pretty per- paradigmatic and and it's, i know it's on the window right now it's on the window right? <laughs> yeah. i mean a radically condensed history of post-industrial life where sort of you know two people trying to greet each other saying goodbye or farewell mm. or hello and they're sort of you know being self-conscious about it just the way that people are at parties or parking mm. lots or meeting mm. friends and I mean, that's sort of you know yeah. the, the big cultural problem that wallace is analyzing in this book but i mean throughout his earth it's that problem of a sort of, you know, a cynical or ironic self consciousness that just goes on to the absurd. Mm. I mean, you are sitting here sweating, then you become self conscious or aware that you're sweating, which makes you sweat even more, which makes you even more self conscious, and so on. Right. I mean, that sort of mm. spirals. Sort of mm. yeah, recursion is like the is, yeah. is the is
1: the yeah. Teddy Smith talks about when she uh, she has a wonderful essay in her book of essays about about this book, about how difficult and repulsive and, and hard work it is because you. Because he he's asking you, in her reading of it, he's asking you to empathize with these. Well, he's asking you if you can empathize with these men, with yeah. these, um, with these, yeah, particularly hideous creatures who are. With, but they're hideous within their moment. They're, yeah. they're, they're like a. They come out of a particular set of, um, of norms and, uh, and cultural mores about how, and also it's, it, they are, they are. Uh, men in, in a, who are aware that they're meant to be in some sort of crisis of masculinity as mm. well, Yeah. in this kind of late 90s new man notion, and they are both willing to accept what I think is interesting actually, the question of knowledge that, that you were bringing up um, earlier is that they know that most of this behaviour is quite horrible or abhorrent or disgusting, but that is just knowledge of the thing they don't mm. That's not knowledge they have on a kind of practical, ethical basis. No. And that's not a question either, but I'm just... I can't really formulate this into questions. (laughs) No, but,
3: but, I mean, I think that's a very, you know, valid point and a a really important one. I mean, given that this book also sort of, you know, discusses some concept of, I don't know, cognitive theory or Mm. therapy even... um, especially in the story the depressed person and there you get the sort of the notion that okay what's wrong with you is just your negative thinking so if you change your mindset and your way of thinking then you can change your sort of you know your life you can overcome depression you can get a whole new uh, mm. life but what Wallace always shows is that the fact that you are aware or the fact that you I mean mm. have some knowledge of your own sort of you know unlucky mm. unhappy situation is not really a guarantee mm. uh, in fact, uh, to the contrary, it, it often makes you even more miserable mm. to know that you are miserable. I mean, it's not a solution at all. Mm. It just leads you deeper into the cage—a mm. recurrent metaphor, right? Yeah, and then you know, you also know how your behaviour is then
1: perpetuating that, how it's cl- enclosing on it, and how. Uh, and what's I think really interesting, again, is that. I've completely lost my train of thought there. Mm. The. The knowledge that you are well, he yeah. This is a theme which like, it comes up also in the like the end of his, his last novel. Like there's that long section where he's talking the un, the unpublished The Pale King, or unfinished, actually published. Um, I read it, um, <laughs> where a young woman is recounting her time in a um, in a mental institution, and she's having everything about her condition explained to her, mm. but she is not getting better. Mm. And then eventually the person says like. And this is, I think, his own frustration with his depression, I think. But i not diagnosed, Wallace. Um, um, saying that the important thing is you just stop cutting yourself. Mm. That's the important thing. Yeah. Every, all the reasons, motivations for all of it, that's yes or no. But but the thing is you have to just, just cut it out.
0: Mm.
1: And I think that's the kind of thing that he's kind of grappling with. Is like, how do you transcend this kind of... The trap of knowledge in that mm. sort of way, but it's also it's a particular sort of knowledge. Mm. It's a it is the knowledge of, but it's with a complete disconnect to whatever whatever is more internal, mm. like a desire or a or a or, you know. If he wouldn't go into this. He wouldn't take it in terms of drives because he's kind of he's yeah finds the whole thing very problematic as you can see.
3: Um. There's also this great, I don't know, sign or motto at one of the places in Infinite just I don't remember if it's the um, uh, clinic for former drug addicts or an N.A. meeting. Mm. Wherever, I mean, where it sort of says, your best thinking got you here. Mm. Sort of, you know, <laughs> captures the lucky pretty high. But I don't know, I mean, does this make any sense to people who haven't read Wallace? Or, I mean, yeah, because I think we're both sort of, you know, yeah. like. Really, we- we do look the type, Yeah, and I. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Just um, shout out. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but I mean, I I would definitely like to come back to the theme of empathy because I think that question that Sadie Smith, but also a lot of others who have written about Wallace pose, pose, is that can you empathize with these characters? And I think that's putting it in a wrong way, actually. I mean, the the, the best story that... Unfortunately it wasn't read before mm. but perhaps it's being mm-hmm. read out loud later is this rape story. I don't know. Oh, that's coming later. Yeah. Okay, we're yeah. coming I don't know how much we should go into it. But I mean no, okay. it's it's this story about a man who has met a girl and then this man is sort of you know recounting or retelling his meeting with this girl to another character in this sort of you know Q and A thing. And the story that he's telling is a story about that girl who, at one point in her life, was you know sort of you know hitchhiking, and she's a very you know hippie-ish, vegan, granola, contra kind of woman, and she gets picked up by this psychotic um, rapist, and um, she's in the car and she's trying to get into this sort of zen mode, and it is obviously being ridiculed by Wallace, her way of you know being very you know flower, flowery. Um but then she she sort of does a really surprising move that is Okay. Let me just leave that scene there and go to the parable of the Good Samaritan, if I may. I mean that's just uh, I mean, yeah. but I mean yeah, yeah. Yep. I really wanted to say this tonight, so to sh- sh- share this great um, insight with you all, so... Um, but, I mean, Kierkegaard has a really an excellent passage on the parable of the Good Samaritan in the works of love, or Karel and Scanninger where he says, it's not a question of, you know, for the Good Samaritan, who is that person's neighbor? It's a wrong question, I mean... That would be sort of, you know, I'm going around saying, oh, there's a refugee, oh, he's my neighbor, she's my neighbor. It's, mm. Oh, how poor, how poor... I mean, that creature is sort, of, mm. um, sort of, you know, helpless, and let me please help her or him. But, I mean, that would be the wrong way of going about it. Instead, Kierkegaard says, the, the crucial question is not who is the good Samaritan's neighbor, but, I mean, the question is... Okay, that's a really complicated thought. Mm. (laughs) The question is, I mean, who is the attacked or assaulted person's neighbor?
0: Mm.
3: So that's the sort of, you know, the inverse or question, right? I mean, sort of, you know, not saying which one of you is my neighbor, but I mean, which person is your neighbor, for instance, right? Mm. And then the Good Samaritan realizes, okay, he is that assaulted or that victim's neighbor. And that's sort of, you know, avoiding all the pitfalls of, you know, victimizations and all that. And I don't know if I'm making any sense here, it looks really neat on paper. Right. Um, <laughs> um, no, it, it makes sense, I think. I think that, that the... Um... But, I mean, uh, just, 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 just to add to that, I mean, and, and also, you know, the, the work of love or love is a, sort of, you know, to presuppose the capacity or the ability to love in the other person. So the question is not, is the other my neighbor, but which person is the other's neighbor? And that sort mm-hmm. of you know radical uh, in interpretation of this parable is sort of you know getting even more radicalized by Wallace, because here's not a case of you know empathizing or you know not precisely empathizing with a victim, but you know saying, okay, which one is the victim's neighbor? But here's sort of you know. Who is the rapist's neighbor? And she, that hippie kind of woman, sort of presupposes the ability to empathize or love on the rapist's part. That's a sort of radical mm. work of imagination and affect. Sort of sitting there in the car, you know, she's about to be raped, and she is, in fact, raped later on, but she's not killed. And, you know, at the crucial moment, that psychotic rapist, really horrible guy sort of, you know, being fucked up by this move on her Mm -hmm. part it's sort of you know he can feel that her you know way of relating to him Mm -hmm. is sort of you know presupposing the ability to to love in him Mm -hmm. and that sort of you know gesture is you know a different way of thinking Mm -hmm. about you know Mm -hmm. relationships or empathy or love than the usual I mean are you able to empathise with these persons but the question should mm. rather be are these persons mm. able to empathise with me for instance mm. am I their neighbour instead of the other question, I mean I'm not, I mean sorry but no, I think that, now it's out there, I think that, we can <laughs> go back to
1: that <laughs> <laughs> but I think that just makes sense because then also the person telling that story upon realising that this woman has used like this entirely invert, yeah, this inverted capacity to, to presume the, the need of this other person but that she can help in some way who is doing something monstrous and you know intends to kill her. Yeah. That the person then retelling the story then realizes his own monstrosity. Yeah. That he does not ever that he is in a complete um relationship as to the rest of the world as objects yeah. for his entertainment or for his engagement. That they are not subjects that need his help or his so he's gone through his entire life thinking sociopathically. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And that is, I think, yeah, the, the main diagnosis like, diagnosis that he's is put, um, putting forward for most of these yeah. these characters, yeah.
3: And and, uh, and and thanks for sharing that. That's really oh. yeah. good. <laughs> but but I mean, all these men in the book have this problem. They're not able to do what the rape victim is able to do in that story. That, as I said before, Wallace mocks her and sort of you know the language mm. and the whole atmosphere. But he's pretty sincere about that particular action. Mm to my mind, but all these men are only concerned with being the greatest lovers on earth. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, lying there with their women and sort of, you know, making them come again and again and again, being sort of, you know, generous lovers. And, I mean, what they fail to realize is Mm -hmm. that, I mean, what about her? And, I mean, I mean, I mean, does she necessarily enjoy just lying there? I mean, getting one... I mean, um, one... Um, um, orgasm after the other, I mm. mean, that sort of, you know, they're not able to do that. And there's this sort of, you know, also very Wallace-esque um, sort of, you know, selfish, selfishness mm. and in their very um, 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 generosity. And mm. that's also a recurrent theme in Wallace's works, right? I mean, the. Yeah. I mean... The action where you think you're doing a good action could actually be your way of, you know, appearing in a good light or, you know, being conceived of as this wonderful, you know, altruistic person. That sort of, you know, cruel logic is also at work in a lot of these stories. I think
1: that's actually maybe the first step we're taking to, you know, getting a proper definition of this nice guy misogyny thing, Mm. is that it's a way of acting and behaving and relating to others um, in order to construct yourself. Yeah. You can construct yourself in um, their opinions of you as the nice guy. Mm as uh and so that you were just using that, so again, it is treating people as means to your own self creation your own self gratification yeah. and and that is maybe this yet yeah, what a part of what is still prevalent in in our culture is that you know especially maybe maybe more so if we um take seriously uh people like like uh before writing and all, all that kind of like line of thought that it's um that we you know as we move into this kind of human capital space, mm. we can't, you know, it's, it's go, it goes beyond um, a traditional understanding of misogyny to a kind of generalised, like, re- objectification of, of everything. Mm. Um, and then the specific forms that this takes in relationships between, uh, between uh, gender identity have their own specific forms of uh, danger and degradation and exploitation, which also need to be addressed. But it, it maybe it is this more general shift mm. away from the kind of traditional traditional authoritarian power structure to an uh, individual that is defined by their ability to make others think that they are mm. worthy of attention.
3: Mm. I definitely think that's right. I mean, the way in, in which the digitized or mediatized, you know, cultural mm. capitalism is sort of, you know, Permeating or penetrating every, you know, fiber and cell mm. and neurotic infrastructure of our innermost being, mm. so that it's not only the men who are affected by this terrible mm. condition. I mean, well, that that would be sort of, you know, the standard, or and mm. and also very shallow reading, right? Okay, mm. the women they are s- definitely nice people, but the men, oh, what horrible creatures! But that's not the way it works. I no. mean, sort of, you know. Defies that kind of um,
1: dichotomy. There's a wonderful, well, actually, that's one of the examples that like, in the story um, Think, like a very brief yeah. two page story of a, uh, a man about to have an affair with his wife's friend's younger sister. And he realizes this strange moment, like where they're looking out in the garden, I think there's children playing or something, yeah. and the people have gone down there, and she's naked before him, and he, he looks at her smile, and he understands her smile to be media taught. Yeah. It's this smoky, rehearsed look. Yeah. Yeah. Page
3: eighteen of Victoria's Secret Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he just falls to his knees, and he
1: realizes that he's not. And he, like, the last line of that story is, "It's not what you think I'm afraid of."
3: Yeah,
1: and it's not that he's. She doesn't think she thinks he's afraid of like destroying his marriage. Yeah, and he knows that that's what she thinks, but then he's actually afraid of just not being a human being. Yeah, and he can't even like he can't even be deceitful and. You know, jeopardize this whole family relationship and break all that trust in an authentic way.
3: No, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's terrible. That's yeah. The worst. Yeah, <laughs> he has yeah. to do that
1: through through a vehicle of media mediation. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd uh, you'd like to bring up at this? Um, this this been this has been very nice.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, just just open it up. I mean, oh, I don't I mean, know. there's a Q the and A Q&A so later, oh, okay, but um, right. but you, you everyone
1: just you know fester away. you... Um, <laughs> is the time up? In the uh, well, we have like I mean, if you have got another five minutes. If you want to, is there another theory you'd like to advance? Because I, I that was the first one. I think nice. I'm
3: pretty burned out. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll take a we'll take
1: a slightly longer break then. And um, yeah, so please go to the bar, mill around, cigarettes and things, and we'll be starting up again. And more readings at eight o'clock.